So a lot of these kids, this is the first time that they've ever been on a golf course. I remember I was at a field trip and one of the little girls there was on a green and she reached down and she rubbed the turf on the green mm -hmm. and she looked up and she said, it's real. So <laughs> it is this wonderful way to introduce all of these kids, young women in particular, but all the kids that are in that class to a golf course. And the superintendent will talk about their career on the golf course and they'll get to see the assistant superintendent, the superintendent, the equipment manager. So for those kids, they're really hands on that love tinkering with stuff. They'll get to see that job. But first green, I mean, it's just a fantastic way to get these kids out on a golf course, show them the game show them the career opportunities and just show them that golf courses are not evil places yeah. that they're actually really good places with great environmental integrity and loads of wildlife out on the golf course so one you're introducing them to the game two you're introducing them to the career path and if nothing else you're at least showing them that golf courses are great places and good community members Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks so much for joining us, and please subscribe to the show so you hear about all the upcoming episodes and you can enter our latest golf product giveaway. Before I get started, I wanted to thank one of our supporting partners, Golf Genius Software, for helping bring you this episode. Golf Genius Software powers tournament management at thousands of private clubs, public courses, resorts, and golf associations all over the world. So if you're a golf course operator who wants to do less work, have more fun, and generate more revenue, check them out online at golfgenius.com. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Shalia Finney, Senior Director of Member Programs for the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America. Shalia oversees four key programmatic areas and membership programs, chapter services, professional development, and environmental programs for the GCSAA, which represents 17,500 members in over 72 countries. I didn't know there's that many that you were involved. Now I know. Shalia is also responsible for the development and implementation of growth and retention strategies of new members, which is one of the many things we're going to talk about today, and also empowering women to choose a career in the golf industry. And very appropriate today because we are recording this on International Women's Day. So we're going to have lots of things to talk about today as far as Shalia's journey in the golf industry. So with that introduction, Shalia, thanks so much for joining us today and welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And right off the get-go, let me just correct you on one thing. We have almost 19,000 members. Oh my goodness. Obviously, where I pulled this from is old data. So you are mm -hmm. growing. That's that's amazing. That shows the yes. golf industry is growing. So before we get into the growth and especially how we want to empower and grow the professional opportunities for women as agronomists and all the other areas in the uh, the golf industry, golf course superintendents, I want to start with this. I quite often ask my guests this question. So tell me your first ever golf experience when you first picked up a club. Do you remember when that was? I do. I do. I found golf completely by accident. So the first time that I picked up a golf club was actually after I started working on a golf course. I majored in drama and speech communications when I was in college, and I intended to do that as a living. I wanted to be a teacher. And I actually got a job and hated it. Then I went through a series of odd different jobs, just trying to find something that resonated. And I ended up working in a plant nursery, selling annual flowers and trees and shrubs and all of those things. And the season came to an end and the owner said, you need to go apply for a landscaper's job at a golf course. 
And golf is wonderful in that it's so big, but it's also so small. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I went and applied at one golf course. They couldn't hire me, sent me to the next one and so on and so on. And in the space of like three hours, I went to five different golf courses. And the fifth one that I went to, the superintendent said, you're the girl looking for the landscaper's job. I'll pay you four thirty-five an hour and all the water you can drink. <laughs> and I started working at that golf course the very next day. I had never even run a weed eater before, let alone done golf course maintenance. And the golf course, luckily for me, it was small enough that they couldn't afford a full-time landscaper. So in the morning, I would do greenskeeper items. I would change cups, mow greens, mow tees, fairways rough. And then after lunch, I did landscaping. I didn't know that this wasn't a job career that didn't have very many women because I was the only one at my golf course. Right. And nobody made a big deal out of it. Right. I mean, I was on a tractor pulling a mow behind unit within the second week of working there. And I fell in love with working outside on a golf course. I mean, I was completely smitten. History is made from there. I worked my way up from being on the crew and being a landscaper to becoming a golf course superintendent. Wow. So we're definitely going to expand upon that journey in a minute here. So I, I just need to, to clarify this. When you got that job as a landscaper, as they, they called it on the golf course, had you ever picked up a golf club? Have you ever been on a golf course? you ever played golf no, before? No, not at really all. Know, not at all. Not at wow. all. And so that job at that golf course, when it was a private country club, so it was closed on Mondays for maintenance, and the crew would get to play golf. Being a part of the team, I went out and they taught me how to play golf with men's clubs. We would even sometimes play night golf when we had to uh, work really late and you would hit the golf ball and you'd be standing there on the tee going, well, I think I heard it crash on the left. Right. But so that's how I was introduced to golf is playing after work every Monday. And I, I have to say I'm not a good golfer by any stretch, but I enjoy playing golf. And now I have my own set of clubs that are appropriate for me and I've had lessons. But that was the first time was being that crew member on that golf course. And it was a wonderful old Donald Ross golf course. Mm. So lovely, long, wide open fairways, just beautiful architecture and design. Wow. Wow. So uh, I find this interesting because most people get into the golf industry because they love golf. Right. One of my guests last week, he was talking about this. He has an online training platform called Golf Industry Guru. And he made the point, he saw this massive business opportunity saying that most people in the golf industry get into the business because they love golf, not the other way around. And uh, so they kind of missed that part. So you actually flipped it around. You actually were looking at it as a career, at least at starting as a job and then a career mm -hmm. and then played the game afterwards was introduced. So I, yeah. I absolutely love this. So after you started and got smitten, as you said, with being outside and doing all this, did you then go back and get any formal training in agronomy over the years? Or then how did you connect with the GCSAA afterwards? So tell, tell us about that as far as your journey the next couple of years. Yeah. So when all of this happened was in the early 80s. Back then, all of the stuff that's on the internet and YouTube and all the turf education that you can get right now online didn't exist. Mm -hmm. So the only way to get continuing education was to get it through GCSAA and to go to local chapter meetings. So, you know, our local groups of superintendents that would get together and face-to-face -face education. So I became a member of GCSAA early on 
because it was how I learned how to grow turf grass. Mm. GCSA was one of my sole means of learning how to do that job. So that was your that was your education. So it sounds like without them, you would have had a more difficult time than moving forward with your career on the course, and and then Absolutely. off the course. You were a, a golf course superintendent at the same course, or did you move on to a, another course? So the the one that I started off at was at Richland Country Club, and that was the Donald Ross design. And then I got to go through a golf course construction because, as so many courses do, you know, they sold that property because it was so close to downtown and it was very valuable housing property. And then Jack Nicholas built Richland Country Club, another golf course further outside of town. So I got to go to that transition and go through what golf course construction is like. And then I left there and I went to the Opryland Hotel golf course in Nashville, Tennessee. Now it's called Gaylord Springs. But I went there as an assistant superintendent. Then that superintendent's position opened up and I, I finished my career there as the golf course superintendent. Wow. And I see here, just reading your bio, you were the superintendent there for 21 years and the assistant for yeah. four. So that was a quarter century of definitely cutting your teeth at Gaylord Springs Golf Links. So how did you then transition your career, the, the next piece where you are now with the GCSAA? So I had reached a point in my life being a golf course superintendent that I had gotten myself completely out of debt. So I was at this point in my life that I could choose what I wanted to do. Golf gave me a absolutely wonderful life. It gave me direction and purpose and something that I loved. And I wanted to, as kitschy as it sounds, I wanted to pay it forward. I love helping golf course superintendents and all of those that work on a golf course meet their goals. By being the the local chapter executive, because I had always done volunteer work for the local chapter, the Tennessee golf course superintendents, I wanted to transition to be their executive director and help all of those superintendents, provide them with the education that they needed, the networking that they needed, and connect people. I, I was having a blast doing that job. I grew the number of members, I grew the engagement, and it caught the attention of the National Association. And so Rhett actually came to me and he asked me if I would like to come and work for the GCSA. And they had a position that was opening up and I applied for that position and I had to beat everybody out that had applied for the same position. And I came here almost five years ago. It's such a wonderful transition because I get to do what I was doing at a local level, at a national level with more people. So I get to help all of these members network, connect, reach their goals. I get to connect them with resources that they need. I call it living the dream. I love what I do. I really love it. Nice, nice. So you mentioned at the top of the show, there's over 19,000 GCSAA members now. Yes. How many, do you know off the top of your head, how many of those members are women? Yes, I do know that. I do know that. This morning I pulled the numbers. It's 299 women. And of those 299, 63 are golf course superintendents. And what is a really good story is that we have 50 female assistant superintendents. So from that job position, you're going to go to a golf course superintendent. And then we have 80 female student members. So students that are interested in turf grass management and golf course maintenance. So it shows a really good trending story that more women are getting interested in this industry. 
Regarding women in the industry, I didn't know that golf courses existed, that it was even a career option for me. So I, I really, truly believe that there aren't more women in this industry and working in golf course maintenance because they don't know that it's a possible career path for them. So we're really engaged right now with increasing awareness with young people that this is an opportunity that they can do and blossom and thrive in. I'm really curious to hear about that onboarding process that you have, the, the steps that you are now being intentional. I see you've got your grassroots ambassador program as far as part of the advocacy. So I'd like you to expand on that because not everybody like you stumbles upon it and has the planets align in certain ways and a drama teacher becomes an accidental agronomist. Is that fair to yeah. call you that? Yeah. Yes. Maybe that's yeah. the title of the podcast, the accidental agronomist. I don't know. <laughs> it could be. It could be. Maybe it's a bit wordy. We'll work on that one. We're just spitballing here. So tell me about that a little bit. What programs are in place as far as initiatives and resources to get young women early on, even at that high school level, to start to yeah. realize that this is an opportunity and to understand that there are golf management programs and colleges and universities out there for them? So, so tell us a bit about that as far as what the work you do. So a program that I am really excited about is called The First Green. Mm -hmm. And this is a program that started in the Northwest United States 20 years ago. And our association took it over in 2018. And what the first green is, it is a STEM education field trip to a golf course. So what we do is we tie the teacher in the classroom with a golf course superintendent that is willing to host that field trip. And they work together to take the things that the teacher is teaching in the classroom and then show those students real life applications of those things out on a golf course. So for instance, the class will go to the golf course and they'll have these different learning modules set up and the kids will break up into different groups and then they'll rotate around. And one of the modules could be math, measuring a square footage of a green, how you do that, how you measure the square footage of a bunker and figure out how much sand is going to go into that bunker. Oh, very cool. So using math in real world situations. And then we'll also go through the science. We'll talk about soil sciences. So we'll set up a little field station that has soil samples that are sand and clay and loamy. And then we'll pour water through that and talk about water infiltration through different types of soils and how the watershed and all the water that comes onto the golf course and how most of the time when water leaves a golf course, it is cleaner than when it came in there. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we'll go through in the environment. We'll talk about the environmental integrity of a wetlands and the kids can do water samplings and find living microinvertebrates and macroinvertebrates that are in that wetland water that shows how healthy it is. So you can think about all the different things that are going on in a golf course and that you got taught in school. And so we're teaching these kids how it applies to a real world job. And then at the end, of course, they do putting on the green. So we'll introduce them to the game of golf as well while they're out there. So a lot of these kids, this is the first time that they've ever been on a golf course. My favorite trip, I remember I was at a field trip and one of the little girls there was on a green and she reached down and she rubbed the turf on the green mm -hmm. and she looked up and she said, it's real. So <laughs> it is this wonderful way to introduce all of these kids, young women in particular, but all the kids that are in that class to a golf course. And the superintendent will talk about their career on the golf course, and they'll get to see the assistant superintendent, superintendent, the equipment manager. So for those kids, they're really hands-on that love tinkering with stuff. They'll get to see that job. 
these kids can be anywhere from fourth, fifth, sixth graders on up to high school. And what you do is you just scale what those lessons are on where they're at in their knowledge base and their learning. So the math gets harder as they get older and so on. But first green, I mean, it's just a fantastic way to get these kids out on a golf course, show them the game, show them the career opportunities, and just show them that golf courses are not evil places. <laughs> that they're actually really good places with great environmental integrity and loads of wildlife out on the golf course. So one, you're introducing them to the game. Two, you're introducing them to the career path. And if nothing else, you're at least showing them that golf courses are great places and good community members. I love what you're doing here with the first green and quite often with STEM, of course, wanting to get so many young women and girls involved with STEM and people, listeners that are not familiar with that, that stands for science, technology, engineering, and math, those core skills. And a lot of times, or most times you think, well, you're looking for a career as a developer or something that's more as a tech startup and working there as a coder or something along that line, rather than, as you said, something very practical, very mm -hmm. complex, but also very tactile. I love that story you provided the little girl there getting down on the green and touching it in her eyes, just lighting up there in, in disbelief that this was actually real, that you could make this. Yeah. That is so good. So does this program with the first green, is it scaled nationally now, or is this still locally as, as test pilots? Our goal is to have a first green field trip in all 50 states by the end of 2023. And right now we're at about 30. All so right. we're working through all of that and we're partnering. It can be a partnership between one teacher and one superintendent, or it could be a partnership with a county school system. So getting first green in all of the classrooms that are in that county school system. So it's very scalable. I always call it first green in a box, right? So we'll give you the lesson plans, the tools if you need it, and then you can scale it to what you need. If you are a class that has 25 kids and that's all you have and you want to bring 25 kids to a golf course, we can make that work. If you've got 100 kids, we can make that work. So it's really scalable to what the individual school needs and what the superintendent can do. Got it. Got it. Are you also making a point? Do you make an extra effort to make sure that you also reach and connect and resonate with young women and girls of mm -hmm. ethnic diversity and racial cultural yeah. diversity too? Or are you making a point that to make it welcoming just like with Elisa Gaudet with uh, Women's Golf Day, a good friend of Elisa and, and also Sandy Cross and both of them always preach. In order to be one, you have to see one, right? And, and yes. feel comfortable to see someone that you can look at as a mentor. What are you doing on those lines to make sure that you're trying to make it not only the gender equality, but also the diversity so that the golf industry looks more like America looks? So within, of course, the first green, that platform, it's not like you go to a school class and say, okay, only the white guys can of, come. Of course. Yeah. So it's all of the kids can come. And we do pay attention to inner city schools. And oftentimes those kids, there isn't green space around those schools. Mm -hmm. So we'll go ahead and get them out to a golf course. So we'll target those schools in particular and get them out on a golf course so they can see that environment. I travel around quite a bit and I speak to young women. I always say, wherever you need me to go, I'll go. And whatever you want me to talk about, I'll talk about. So I will go to college campuses and talk to young women that are in turf grass programs and try and get them to come out on a golf course instead of going towards the research. Because a lot of those young women will go into turf grass research instead of going into the environment and working out on a course. So we will do that. And then we're also focusing some new programs. We've got one called Ladies Leading Turf 
we have a big golf industry show once a year and we will do receptions and education there for the women that are in the industry to give them a place to go network with each other. And we'll do education specific to them. So it's a lot of leaders in the field that are women will come and talk about their experiences and share what they've been through. And it's kind of empowering because it shows you that the things you're experiencing, you're not the only one experiencing them. Mm -hmm. So it gives them a place that they can open up and network. We have plans to expand First Green to include scholarships that if there are people that are interested that we intersect with at a first green event, the young kids and they get into high school and they want to go on, we're going to try to come up with a way to fund their college careers or however they want to get that education. And in the United States, there is an ag association that is geared towards students called the FFA. Okay. And we work with the FFA. So we are funding some of their programs. They have what they call supervised agricultural experiences, and the kids will get grants to go into a real world situation. And we're funding some of those grants. So we're really targeting the young people that are in school and then also supporting them when they get out of their high school career and go on to community colleges, colleges and tech schools. We're supporting them there with a free membership to GCSA. So they get all of the support services that we have as an association to help mentor them towards their career. Got it. Got it. I want to switch gears a little bit here with some of the many, many things that you do. My background and my, my previous life and career as an architect and urban designer, sustainability, especially environmental sustainability yeah. for decades has been so, so important and, and prevalent in the work that I do. So for the general public, people not necessarily that play recreational golf or know too much about it, think it's an elitist thing, but even also that we are this environmental problem or scourge rather yeah. than as an ambassador. So how do you overcome that with the messaging that you have? I know that you're working with the Environmental Institute for Golf and some other agencies. So talk about that a bit as far as that sustainability side. Maybe you can articulate yeah. that better than I can. Oh, yeah. There are several things you mentioned there that all tie together. The Environmental Institute for Golf, that's our foundation. So that's our philanthropic arm that funds turfgrass research through universities and then also funds a bunch of the other environmental programs that we have, such as First Green, but also the best management practices. So we call them the BMPs. That is a really cool program that we met our major milestone that our goal was to have all 50 states to have a best practices manual by the end of 2020. And we met that. So what that manual is, it's really hard sometimes to come up with a document with a blank sheet of paper in front of you. So what we did was we had all kinds of input from regulators and environmentalists and golf course superintendents. And we came up with what we call the national template. So the best management practices national template has 12 different sections in it, and it ranges anywhere from wildlife habitat to fertility and pesticides and everywhere in between. And what we wanted to happen, which did, was all 50 states then took that manual and they customized it for their state. You're not going to have growing practices that are pertinent to the Northeast going on in the desert Southwest right? Mm -hmm. So you have to really focus on what your environmental region is and what your growth habits are and what you're growing, and then any regulations that you might have to deal with in those areas. So that goes into that state manual. So it's really customized to that individual state. Then you, you were talking about the advocacy. 
So that is one of those documents that we are then able to use in our advocacy outreach, which is where we go to Capitol Hill and we talk to our our legislators in Congress about truth and reality. You mentioned it. So many people think that golf courses are are environmental nightmares, and it's actually very much opposite of that. Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. are really, really good environment. And as I said, the water is cleaner when it leaves a golf course. It is pristine wildlife habitat. I know on my golf course in Tennessee, I had 99 species of birds that use my golf course every day as their main habitat along with mammals and reptiles and turtles and all sorts of things. So we're able to take this documentation to our legislators and talk about laws and regulations that are being passed and we're giving them the facts, you know, scientific research as opposed to emotional rhetoric. And that's what our advocacy program really focuses on. So through the Environmental Institute for Golf and the research that is done and the best management practices, we're empowering our grassroots ambassadors with facts and figures to go talk to legislators with. So our grassroots ambassador program has 463 grassroots ambassadors in it right now. And our goal is 535 so that we have a grassroots ambassador paired up with every member of Congress so that they can have a close personal relationship and be able to talk to that person openly and honestly and share with them the scientific facts and figures and realities about golf course maintenance. So a lot of that research that happens through the Environmental Institute for Golf funding is what really empowers us to have those facts and figures. We've done golf course environmental profiles where we go and we do surveys of all the golf courses in the United States and come up with these facts and figures like how much fertility is actually used, how much pesticide is actually truly used. I was a grassroots ambassador when I was a superintendent. And I know that when I talked to them about using pesticides on my golf course, my golf course was 180 acres and I had five acres of greens. And the thought process is that 180 acres is intensively maintained and I'm applying pesticides to all of it. I'm not. The intensively maintained part is only the greens. And then the rest of the golf course, you you really don't do that much there. And here's the other piece of it. That stuff is expensive. Mm -hmm. So to be able to put fertilizer and pesticides on your entire golf course, you can't afford it. So our process at GCSA is making sure that we are creating an army of grassroots ambassadors that are armed with scientific fact and figures about golf course maintenance and having them go and advocate on their own behalf to our Congress and our legislators. Right. And one thing I love also, because I've heard it not only from Rhett Evans, I've heard it from other people that are associated with other partners you have in the industry that are advocates also for uh, environmental sustainability. But it's also good for business and, and the way you're harnessing technology and machine learning and artificial intelligence, even with things like having people go around with like a little tracker in their pocket so you can heat trace where they hit all the balls. And I know with that massive oh, yeah. data set that you have, you start to figure out, you make the assumptions that, oh, people hit the ball over here. And then you realize no one ever hits the ball over there. So guess what? You don't need to mow over there. You don't need to maintain. You don't need to fertilize. So all of a sudden, your maintenance budgets and labor, pesticides, just overall capital cost just comes down as far as your maintenance. So tell us a little bit about that as far as how you are harnessing technology and artificial intelligence and and data sets in order to optimize golf courses that ultimately positively affect the bottom line and the profit margins. 
So obviously GCSA isn't doing that. There are vendors out there that are doing that technology. But what our mm-hmm. role is, is to educate our members on what is available and out there. Yes. So I'll just talk about water usage. Everybody sees the sprinklers running in a golf course and they're like, oh, it's a big waste of water. Right. So the technology that is available at a golf course allows a golf course superintendent to really focus on just what the turf grass needs. So we have moisture meters. You were talking about having a heat sensor in your pocket to be able to see where the golfers go. Well, there are also sensors in the ground at a lot of golf courses that measure how much water is in the soil. Ah. And as a superintendent, we know what type of turf grass we have, how much water it needs to be healthy. So we're able to correlate that data that we're receiving from the sensors or their portable moisture meters as well. That's that thing that looks like a pogo stick that you see a lot of superintendents carrying around and they stick it in the turf and it tells them what the, the moisture percentage is in that soil. And we know that when I had Bermuda grass greens in Tennessee, my perfect sweet spot for moisture on my green was about 15%. And so then I would go back to my computerized irrigation control and I would tell the computer the data that I had found and then it would program how much water needed to go out in each area of the golf course just for the turf grass to be healthy. So it's not like the superintendents are going in and flipping on the switch and letting it run all night. It's a very orchestrated symphony of water turning off and on to maximize pressure and deliver the exact amount of water that that area needs that night. Amazing. Love it. This is yes, so good. Yes. It's the future and it's happening now. And, I, and it's so it's many so many people in the public also think, yes, that with golf courses that perhaps they aren't embracing technology or advancements and it couldn't be oh. any further from the truth. Oh, yeah. I've had it framed in this way a while ago. I forget who said it. Maybe it was Rhett a couple of years ago. In a way, you are in the agriculture business and the crop you're growing happens to be grass, right? Yes. And lots of it. Yes, yes, yes. So I was at a first green event and I was standing off to the side with the parents that had come with the kids as chaperones. And I was listening to these parents talk about why do golf course superintendents use math when they're measuring the square footage of a green? And I got to talk to them about the fact that we need to know the square footage because when we put fertilizer out, we calibrate that spreader to put out an exacting amount of fertilizer to that square footage, which is based on a soil test that tells us exactly how much that turf grass needs. And we will put down micro amounts of fertilizer on the turf grass. And I had told those parents, how many times do you fertilize your lawn a year? And they went, oh, twice. And I said, we do it once a month on a golf course because we're putting out a teeny tiny amount so that that turf grass gets what it needs when it needs it. And there's no waste. It doesn't wash off. Yes. No, I love this. Love this. You know, I've got a whole whack of other questions I want to ask. I want to talk about National Golf Day because you talked about that at Capitol Mm -hmm. Hill. Yes. Definitely how COVID has affected the industry and your insights of that and also the future. But let's hold off on those questions because I'm going to ask those when we jump on a video call for our YouTube interview. So why don't we leave it at that? Because of course, our listeners here, we want to encourage them to join us over on the Mod Golf YouTube channel and become viewers over there as we continue this conversation. So so, uh, Shalia, why don't we leave it at that? So, Shalia Finney, this has been amazing. I've learned so much. I love your storytelling capability, which obviously comes from your drama background. So, thank you for that. 
So before we go here, how can people that want to learn more about all the great things that they're doing and maybe some people they're considering, they want their daughters to perhaps now look into the golf industry as a career path. So how can they connect with you and the GCSAA? Well, obviously, you can go to our website, which is gcsaa.org, and you can find a bunch of information there. You can also find staff if you want to talk to me directly. You can find my name listed there. And I always tell everybody, my cell phone, my personal cell phone is listed on the website, and I give it out freely. And don't worry about the time of day it is or the day of the week. If I'm asleep, I won't answer. But that way, you can leave me a message, and I can get you the information that you need and you won't have to remember to call me. If you have a sudden thought on a Saturday morning, you don't have to remember to call me on Monday morning. But we are here and ready to answer any and all questions and give all kinds of resources. Love it. Love it. Your pure unfiltered energy and enthusiasm is is infectious and I'm feeling it. My energy level is quite high right now. Thank you for this and Chalia, happy International Women's Day. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. All right. Have a great day. We'll talk soon. So that'll do it for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Shalia Finney, Senior Director of Member Programs for the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America. If you'd like to learn more about Shalia and the impactful work she is spearheading with the GCSAA, visit our episode show page where we've included website links and contact information. The video link for my extended conversation with Shalia is also on the episode show page. And please subscribe to our Mod Golf YouTube channel while you're there. If you leave a comment, I promise to respond. Please join me next time when my guest is golf writer and host of the pro show, Keith Stewart. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor partners, Golf Genius Software and British Columbia Golf, for help making the Mod Golf podcast happen. Without their support, I wouldn't be able to bring you these engaging stories from golf's brightest innovators and influencers. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship and community building in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks so much for joining me. Bye for now.